I'm Meg Dalton, and this is The Kicker, CJR's podcast about all things media. Journalism has a class problem. If you aren't independently wealthy, the path into the industry isn't an easy one, especially if your aspirations are national in scope. Yet, conversations about class and journalism are still largely absent from our newsrooms. That's something Sarah Jones tackles in our newest issue of CJR. Jones is a staff writer at The New Republic, and I spoke to her about this taboo topic for this week's episode. So newsrooms are getting a bit better at diversifying when it comes to race and gender. You know, as journalists, we've also gotten more comfortable discussing these issues in our writing, on social media, with colleagues. But when it comes to the topic of class, which, of course, intersects with those things, that hasn't really been the case. Why do you think that is? I think it's difficult for people, right? Like, it can occasionally um, be a very private and personal thing that people don't really want to talk about it at work, and I think that's understandable. Um, and if, you, if you're not a reporter, as most reporters aren't, working on the subject of class explicitly, let's say you're a science reporter or you're an entertainment reporter, anything, then it's not going to be coming up as, as often either. And I think people are kind of rightly worried about becoming tokens um, based on the way that they grew up. Um, and also, there's a lot of, you know, I, I've never personally experienced any explicit hostility in my career so far, but if you're an outlier in your industry, then it's naturally going to be difficult for you to talk about the ways in which you're different. Yeah, and as someone with a low-income background yourself, can you tell me a little bit about your path into journalism and, you know, what's, what kind of calculus is involved? It was extremely haphazard. Uh, I became interested in it in college, which I think is true for a lot of people. And I did kind of the, a couple of the normal things that uh, an aspiring college-age journalist does. I worked for the student paper. I got some work experience working for my local paper back home. Uh, I did some blogging. Um, but for the most part, it wasn't able something that I was able to pursue as much as I'd liked. Um, just because I needed to live. So I, I, you know, if there was a job available, I needed to take it. I've worked at a, at a preschool. I've worked as a nanny. I've worked in delis. I've worked as a tutor um, just to get my education finished and out of the way. And then my first full-time job was in communications. It wasn't in journalism. And I kind of freelanced on the side, hoping maybe eventually I'd be able to break in and make it work. And eventually that did happen for me. But I think in many ways, it was a lot of luck. You know, I didn't have prestigious internships. I don't really have prestigious degrees. Um, I just kind of hammered away at it and eventually it happened. Yeah, you mentioned kind of the internship pipeline and and for me, the ability not to take, you know, those high profile unpaid internships or extremely low paid internships seemed to slow down my journey into journalism. Would you say that's the biggest way the industry keeps, you know, people of lower income communities out of newsrooms? And if, if not that, like what else is, is kind of factoring into that? I certainly think it's significant. Um, but I think the problem starts even before the internship. Because how likely are you to get an internship at the New Yorker or, you know, insert prestigious publication here, really, if you didn't go to an elite liberal arts college or an Ivy League school? It's frankly not very likely. 
you know, you're not going to have references who, you know, probably someone at that outlet personally knows you're not going to have the connections and people are going to look at where you went to school and be like, well, you went to your local state university. Clearly, if you tried harder, maybe you could have gone somewhere else, which of course isn't the case. So it really starts there kind of with this um, kind of reinforcing preference for, for certain degrees from certain schools. And then it, let's say you're lucky and you get the internship at all. Well, how are you going to live? And so you already have to face so many barriers just to get an entry-level job in the field. It's difficult for anyone to overcome that. And those barriers don't seem to disappear once you get in the industry. I mean, like for me, I had to work multiple jobs and insane hours just to pay rent and to buy groceries and my subway fare. The answer might be obvious, but I'm wondering like what you think we can do to keep journalists from all socioeconomic backgrounds in the industry. Well, living wage is, is kind of the biggest one. And, you know, if you're going to concentrate your newsrooms in major coastal cities and you need to be prepared more in order to attract and retain talent from a wide range of backgrounds, you know, that's just an expense that you need to get comfortable with right away. And if you're not willing to do that, you're not going to have a very diverse newsroom in any respect. That's just how it is. So I think that's an important one. And I think, you know, you, you do kind of need to look outside like the, the, the elite liberal college Ivy League bubble, right? There are a lot of really smart, talented kids at, at state schools or tiny liberal arts schools that no one's ever heard of. And they're there because they got scholarships, right? They're there because that's what they can afford. And I think that outlets should be looking more diligently for talent at those places. And it can be difficult to like convince someone to say, you know, send this this job listing to this school. It's not something that, at least in my experience, naturally occurs to people. It's something you have to push for. And then, of course, I think as things do begin to change and newsrooms get a little bit more diverse, it will get easier as time goes on. And especially because people from low-income, working-class backgrounds will feel less like an outlier in their own offices. There will be more people like them. But I think those are the the first steps that editors and and newsroom managers need to take. And so let's let's just zoom out for a second and talk about what it means for coverage, too, to have people, you know, across socioeconomic backgrounds in the industry. What are the real-world consequences of the journalism industry mostly consisting of people from, you know, middle and upper-class communities? I think the Trump election actually kind of revealed a lot of the problems with that because people were, you know, there were a a lot of narratives rose up around that, right? Like there was this tendency to pin Trump as like squarely on the shoulders of the white working class, which isn't entirely fair or accurate. Um, The average Trump supporter was fairly well off, actually. And then, of course, this kind of had a whitewashing effect on the working class itself, because when we were talking about the working class, we were talking about the white working class. And there was sort of this implication that, you know, that was the working class. And of course, that's not true. The the working class is mostly non-white. And so, you know, I think that demonstrated a real level of class blindness, especially in major national newsrooms. I would say it's less of a problem at local and regional papers, which, you know, are often staffed by people from those communities who are telling stories about their communities. National newsrooms, I think, have shown themselves to be frequently very blind and sometimes flat out ignorant when it comes to even noticing um, nuances in these stories and reporting them accurately. And so what tips do you have for national newsrooms in terms of covering class better? 
Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I think it's the question, right? And like, obviously, one big piece of that puzzle is to make sure that you are actually hiring people from these backgrounds because if you're missing stories, they're going to be in a position to tell you about it. But also, they need to think more carefully about the way that they are covering these stories. You know, the, the stories need to be written and reported, whether or not you have any anyone from a relevant background on staff, and it isn't necessarily a qualification to, to report a particular story anyway. So you, I saw a lot of Twitter debate around this, but you know, working on partnerships with local and regional news outlets that are beneficial to those local and regional news outlets, I think is one way to do that. Another way is to you know, pay people to live and report outside your major coastal newsrooms. Make sure that they're building roots in these communities and they're reporting on these communities regularly. You're gonna get better stories out of that. You, know, you can't just send someone who has no background or experience into a community and think that you're going to get the story that you need to get out of that scenario. That was our show. Thanks for kicking it with us. Thank you to Sarah Jones for speaking to me about class and journalism. You can read her wonderful story at CJR.org. We'll see you next week.